What does it mean to be a leader? Cultures all around the world value leadership, yet sometimes we struggle to understand what it is. And is there a uniquely Christian way of leading? In this session, we're going to discuss a Christian understanding of leadership. Our aim is to help you be the best leader you can be. But free to lead isn't about bringing the latest flavour of the month in Christian leadership techniques or some new self-help method. It's really just about taking hold of what true Christ-centred leadership is and understanding how every single one of us can be Christ-centred leaders. Maybe a picture of a general striding out ahead of the army is some people's concept of what a strong leader is. And that kind of reminds me of a true story. Um, This happened in the 1940s. And at the time, the Soviet foreign minister was a guy named Molotov. He gave his name to Molotov cocktails, apparently. And he was um, being interviewed by a journalist when a phone call came through. And it turned out that the phone call was from Stalin himself. So, of course, the reporter pricked up his ears um, and he heard Molotov saying, Yes, Comrade Stalin. Yes, Comrade Stalin. Absolutely, Comrade Stalin. Certainly, Comrade Stalin. Again and again. But suddenly, during the conversation, he said loudly and quite animatedly, No, Comrade Stalin. Definitely no. A thousand times no. And then it was back to, Yes, Comrade Stalin. Absolutely, Comrade Stalin. Again and again. Well, when the call was over, the reporter couldn't help himself but say to Molotov, Secretary... I couldn't help but overhear you at one point say, no, Comrade Stalin, could I possibly ask you what you were talking about at the time? You may, said Molotov. Comrade Stalin asked me if he'd said anything I disagreed with. (laughs) (laughs) And that's about as far away from real Christian leadership as you can get. And that whole system, of course, eventually collapsed. Now, Jesus is the supreme model of leadership for us. And Jesus and Stalin couldn't have been more different. Free to lead is specifically about Christian leadership. And in this session, we want to try to get to grips with, well, what actually is that? What is the nature of true Christian leadership? And what makes Christian leadership distinctively different from other forms of leadership? A good place to start considering the question of what makes a real Christian leader would be the Bible and some of the metaphors that the Bible uses. Well, in Luke 22, the disciples get themselves into an argument with each other about which of them is the greatest. If you think about it, it's really an argument about the nature of true leadership. And Jesus' response is very illuminating. Let me read it to you. He said, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them. And those in authority over them are called benefactors, but not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest and the leader as one who serves. For who is greater, one who reclines at table or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at table? But I am among you as one who serves. Luke 22. 
And Christian leaders are called to serve those they lead. And of course that would be complete anathema to the likes of Stalin or any other powerful leader. And Jesus himself came into the world to serve. And anyone who wants to be great in his kingdom, he said, will be the servant of all. And if you keep up with leadership trends, you'll know that in recent years there's been recognition of that in business. That really great leaders, the ones who have the most impact, the ones who have the greatest effect, are the ones who genuinely put other people before themselves. The good of their company, the people they're leading. And it's over 15 years now since uh, Zoe, my wife, and I had the privilege of starting Freedom in Christ Ministries UK office, which we did in our spare time. We thought we'd give it Friday afternoons while we were running our own business. Well, to our surprise, it grew and grew and keeps on growing. And we now find ourselves leading Freedom in Christ Ministries International too. Uh, We have offices and representatives in about 40 different countries. We're constantly looking back and thinking, how on earth did that happen? I still don't know. But whenever I draw an organisation chart now um, of the people in these countries and so on and so forth, I genuinely can't bring myself to do it in the traditional way, with me at the top and it all kind of coming out like a triangle from there. I find I have to turn it upside down and put me at the bottom. And then the triangle goes that way. It's an inverted triangle. Why? Well, because... I understand that I'm there to serve those country directors, those representatives um, who are out there essentially at the sharp end doing the real work. I'm not there to tell them what to do. Um, I'm there to do everything that I can do to make their job as easy as it can be and to support them when they need me. We need to see ourselves as servants. We need to be servants. Then another metaphor from the Bible is that of a sent one. Let me read you again. Jesus said to them, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. John twenty twenty one. So Jesus knew that the Father had sent him for a particular purpose. And as the Father sent him, he sends us into the world. I think it's important that Christian leaders know that they're sent called might be another way of putting it many of you who are in a leadership position right now will know full well that God has called you there you'll have stories that you could share of the clear way that he made it so obvious that this was for you what if you didn't get that clear sense but you're still in a leadership position I think it would be perfectly reasonable for you to assume that God has called you to be a leader and he specifically sent you to the place where you're leading. Whether that's in a business, a hospital, a school, the church, or whatever. You can also know that he has prepared some works in advance for you to do, because Paul tells us that. Exciting stuff. Now, some of you don't yet have a leadership position. But maybe you sense a possible call to leadership. If that's what God has in mind for you, he will bring it about in his own time. You don't have to do anything. And some of you are thinking, you know, I could never be a leader. Why ever not? It's not about external qualifications or anything like that. And remember what our God is like. He calls and sends the most unlikely people. 
often the ones without the obvious qualifications who feel totally inadequate. And of course, the obvious example of that is how God called David to be king of Israel, even though on paper he was by far the most unlikely candidate. Even his own family couldn't appreciate that. So knowing that you are specifically called, specifically sent by God, is vital, especially when things get tough. In the last session, Rod shared with us the horrendous story, really, of the difficult experiences that he went through as leader of one particular church. And he needed to know that God had specifically called him there and God had specifically told him to stand and not resign in order to persevere through the problems that he faced and come out the other side. In the New Testament, the main Greek word that describes leaders is usually translated as steward or sometimes manager. And you find it throughout the New Testament, but it definitely carries with it the concept of leader. But that concept of being a steward usefully reminds us that the place of leadership that we've been sent into, our leadership ministry, if you like, is not ours, it's his. You know, God doesn't need us to do his work. He's perfectly capable of doing it on his own. But in his humility, he chooses to delegate to us the responsibility of managing his resources in order to bear fruit and advance his kingdom. And a mark of a real Christian leader is that we won't cling to our leadership position. We'll be ready to lay it down when the time comes. He's the potter with the clay. And another good biblical concept for leadership is that of a shepherd. We're meant to be shepherds who care for the people who follow us. Let me quote Jesus again. Jesus said, He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. John 10, 12. Shepherds look out for the well-being of the sheep, making sure they're fed and protected. A hired hand is in it just for the money and will abandon the sheep when the hint of danger comes. But for a true shepherd, this is not just a paid job. They really care. Then we have the picture of a son. Galatians 4.7. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. In a large estate in New Testament times, and I'm thinking of something like the parable of the prodigal son, both sons and slaves worked. But what was the difference between a son and a slave. Well, a slave works because he has to, whereas a son works because he chooses to. And a son has all the father's resources freely available to him. You have become a child of God, a son of God, and that concept applies to women too. You can exercise your leadership confident of God's full support and his encouragement. And those who truly understand that they are sons of God make the very best leaders. Now, we may be leaders, but we won't lead effectively unless we're also good followers. Leaders are also followers. Jesus said this, 
follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Have you ever thought about the dynamic operating there? By the way, it's Matthew 4.19. Jesus called people to follow him and the result would be that other people would listen to them. In other words, would follow them. See, the bottom line is that just being a Christian and having a leadership position doesn't make you a real Christian leader. A real Christian leader is someone who gets up every day and makes a fresh decision to follow Jesus. Their relationship with God is so fundamental to them that it influences everything in their leadership. So they choose to believe that the Bible is the very word of God and what is in there becomes the bottom line in their leadership. They make a daily choice to be led by the Spirit of God and the result of that is that they keep on growing in the fruit of the Spirit. So slowly but surely they are becoming more and more like Jesus in character. Now those of you who know freedom in Christ well, you may have spotted in there our definition of discipleship. We have concluded that a disciple is someone who's becoming more and more like Jesus in character. And it's the development of godly character that leads us to act more and more like Jesus acted. Christian leadership is an issue of discipleship. If we are not following Jesus well, we won't lead others well. Let's try to get now to the heart of what Christian leadership actually is. Let me read you our definition and then we'll go through it and try and unpack it. Christian leadership is the interactive relational process of influencing people and people systems towards beneficial outcomes through your identity, character and calling in Christ, using your God-given strengths and spiritual gifts, as well as your talents, skills, and knowledge. Repeat after me. Okay. (laughs) It's a bit of a mouthful. But every element in there is important. And so let's just go through that definition and look at each little portion of it. First of all, leadership is a process Now, a process is something that is always ongoing. It's something that's never fully completed. And when you're a leader, it's very, very rare that you can ever say, well, that's it, job done. Uh, We heard of one leader who repaints his holiday home every year, whether it needs it or not, because he just wants to finish a job for a change. (laughs) And it's a relational process. Although there are many things we do as leaders, we always do them in the context of relationships. Maybe you joked once that your job would be fantastic if it wasn't for all the people. But actually, if you have no relationships, of course, you have no leadership. So it's about relationships. And this relational process is interactive. And what I mean by that is that In the process of leading, you should expect to be changed just as much or possibly even more than the people you are leading. And if you're not willing to be changed, maybe you shouldn't be a leader. 
Many of you will know John Maxwell's definition of leadership. It's a lot shorter than ours. Just three words. Leadership is influence. And he's surely right. But who are you influencing as a leader? We're saying in our definition that it's about influencing both people and people systems. It's easy to assume that if we're able to lead individual people well by influencing them, then our leadership will be successful. But there's more to it than that. Our influence should be not just on individual people, but also on what we are going to call people systems. And what we mean by that is the groups and the organisations of which people are part. We're going to say a lot more about people systems as free-to-lead progresses. But for now, let me just give you a quick example of how this can work. Imagine a young pastor um, arrived in a church and he wants to introduce a new style of worship because he thinks that's going to be helpful. He's a very wise young pastor, so he doesn't just do it. He meets individually with all the elders and discusses the change with them to make sure that they're on board. And one by one, the elders give the impression that they agree with the changes. And some of them seem actually quite enthusiastic. So, when the day of the elders' meeting arrives, the pastor is confident that his motion will pass. After all, the elders lead the church, don't they? They're in charge. When the motion appears, it's roundly defeated. The elders have changed their minds, and the young pastor is stunned. What's happened? Well, it turns out that he hasn't accounted for the elders' spouses, who didn't like the idea at all. Our point is, there's more going on than often meets the eye. So it's not just about leading individuals, it's about leading people systems. And what are the outcomes of leadership? Well, we've said in our definition that we're leading towards beneficial outcomes. Not everybody is. I started my working life in a very large multinational IT company, and I loved it. What I didn't love was the corporate politics. Often managers seemed to seek only what was good for themselves rather than what was good for the company. Some had hidden agendas that were not good for customers. And I had one particular manager whom I liked well enough as a person. But in terms of his leadership, it was clear to just about everybody that he was single-mindedly committed to climbing the corporate ladder as fast as possible, regardless of who got in his way. And my favourite memory of this guy is when we got a visit from the European director himself. Big event. And this manager had managed to wangle for himself the job of picking up the European director at the railway station so he could get to know him and so on and so forth. And he wanted to look particularly impressive, so he decided he should have a driver. So he looked for the person in his team who'd most recently taken delivery of a nice company car, and that happened to be me. And so he asked me to drive him to the railway station. But before we set off, he pushed the front passenger seat of the car as far forward as it would go to create a nice big space in the back where he imagined he and the European director would chat amiably, and he'd managed to impress him on the journey back. Anyway, when the European director arrived and was shown to the car, he climbed straight into the front seat. Honestly, not without some difficulty, because it was like it was crammed like that. His briefcase was on his knee. And as I drove off, 
he started asking me about what I did, and so I told him. And, and so the European director and I were happily chatting, and this guy was in the back like a child trying to get a word in. So I didn't tell you that story for any other reason than I enjoyed it. So, but, you know, the point is, where is your leadership leading? This guy was out for himself. The outcomes he wanted were ones that would be beneficial to himself. And no matter how much he tried to disguise it, actually everybody knew that. But a real Christian leader will want to ensure that the outcomes of their leadership are beneficial to other people. Another word for outcomes might be fruit. Christian leaders want to lead towards good fruit. Ideally, fruit that will last forever. How can you assess whether the outcomes you're leading towards are beneficial or not? Here are some questions you could ask. Does this particular outcome benefit people economically? All organisations understand the concept of financial outcomes. They're the easiest to measure. And, of course, you do need cash if your organisation is to continue doing what it's doing. Most organisations also understand that just making money isn't enough. It's not just about profit. We also need to exercise good stewardship over all of our resources. A small church without a minister might generate a lot of money in the short term by selling a house that it owns. But future generations may find they're never again able to call a minister because they don't have a house and the church might eventually die. Was that really a beneficial outcome? Another question, does it benefit people socially? Does the outcome help create healthy relationships? Does it help build a healthy society? A business may have a culture in which its employees work so many hours that marriages break down, that families fall apart. Even if that business is making a lot of money, clearly the outcomes are not beneficial. Then does it benefit people environmentally? Of course, we're talking about the physical environment in which we live, but the question also applies to the spiritual environment. Things like prayer, worship, repentance, a commitment to unity across churches can have a significant and real effect on the spiritual environment. Does it benefit people personally? Christian leaders will empower people to take responsibility, to grow to develop in terms of their character. And finally, does it benefit people spiritually? Is it in line with God's kingdom purposes? Back to our definition. Our leadership, Christian leadership, is based on who you are. don't know whether you read a lot of uh, leadership books. If you do, you'll find that the focus of most Management books, most leadership books, is on what good leaders do. Christian leadership, however, focuses first and foremost on who good leaders are. This is an absolutely critical foundational issue, so much so that we're devoting the whole of the next session to it. For now, let me just say this. Leadership involves who you are. Christian leadership involves who you are in Christ. Because people will follow who you are and how you are before they will follow what you do or say. 
Actually, it probably would be more precise for me to say people will follow who they think you are. See, if people perceive you to be a leader, they will follow you. You can see that in how some people follow celebrities. And when it comes to social media, quite literally follow celebrities. When I last checked, the person with the most followers on a popular social media platform was a singer I'd never heard of. But the person with the second greatest number of followers was a singer I had heard of. Well, does being a singer say anything about the soundness of your opinions? Probably not. But people follow celebrities because of who they appear to be, even though that might be an identity that's been crafted by a clever PR machine. Jesus was the most compelling leader who ever lived. Why? Because of who he was. But the great news for us is that his followers can become compelling leaders too because of who he has made us to be. Back to our definition, using your God-given strengths and spiritual gifts as well as your talents, skills and knowledge. You are a totally unique person with a unique set of gifts, unique strengths, weaknesses too. If you want to achieve success in leadership, which should you focus on, your strengths or your weaknesses? Strengths. You can spend so much time trying to compensate for your weaknesses that you never get round to using your strengths. Yet your strengths are what enable you to become an effective leader. Focusing on what you don't do well is a recipe for mediocrity. Great leaders discover what they do well and then do it to the best of their ability. So our, our advice is focus on your strengths and see if you can delegate the other things to people who have strengths in those areas. Which brings us to a big question. Are some people given the gift of being able to lead and others not? Can anyone be a leader or is it reserved for a select few people? In other words... Are leaders born or are they made? What do you think? Our conclusion is it's both. Some people just have a natural propensity to lead. They can't help but lead. It's their natural disposition. And we call these people natural leaders. But note, that does not necessarily make them the best leaders. Other people have to lead because to their great surprise they find themselves called to a leadership role. They may not be natural leaders but there's no reason whatsoever why they shouldn't be great leaders. Whether you're a natural leader or not you can learn how to improve your leadership and can become a great leader. I wonder if there are some people who need to come out of the shadows at this point. Do you need to recognise, maybe even for the first time, that God has called you to your leadership position? That he is well able to make you the leader he wants you to be? I never in a million years envisaged myself leading anything, never mind a ministry, never mind an international ministry. I was just totally um, unprepared, I suppose. I'm bossy. But that's not the same as being a natural leader. I suppose in some ways, um, I'm not afraid to lead. 
because um, I used to lead in the playground a bit, but actually deep down inside, a uh, total crippling feeling that I'm nobody. I, I have no right to lead anyone because I don't know anything. I'm too small, too insignificant. I I struggled, struggled, and then began to realise that there's another way here, and it's when I came on the free to lead course that it's like. The stuff I kind of knew in my head was just cemented, and it's like, I can do this. I can. Because it isn't, it isn't what I do, what techniques I adopt. It's not what, what I've learned in college that's going to get me through this, that's going to make me an effective leader, that's going to help people to come this way and come towards the kingdom. Um, it's actually who I am. In Christ. Now I feel confident that because God has called me and equipped me, as long as I walk with Jesus, I will have the authority that he wants me to have. And that being a leader is not a matter of dragging people behind me. It's, um, it's more a matter of people wanting to, to go where I want to be, where I am. Um, rather than try and shape them, I'm the strong shape that people will want to become like me or go where I'm going, not the other way around. So I don't have to set out to change anybody, which is a huge relief, because I can't. I know I've got a very natural ability to lead, and a lot of things I've done growing up, and in the last like 10 years in my 20s, growing up into my 30s, um, have kind of established that more so. And I think what Free to Lead has really opened my eyes to um, is just taking in all this information and, and, and hearing all these things that God will put me in a specific place at a, a specific time. It doesn't matter what, how simple a context that is. And I can lead in that context. I can help somebody in that context. So actually there is no ceiling. That's just part of my wrong perspective. Um, I've been doing it all along in different contexts the whole time. But actually, just to really delight and rejoice in that, that I'm doing a great job. So it's kind of been encouraging in that respect as well. Um, but there's always scope to improve, always scope to learn. If you get to the point that you feel competent, it's probably the point that you should step down. And I just love that because I think part because of my upbringing and partly because of the environments I'm surrounded by, the focus is about me. And you have to constantly fight to take the focus off yourself and, and focus on God. And that just, for me, that sums it up. It's like, if I'm relying on God every single day, if I'm just in every single circumstance, it's, it's, it's saying, God, you're the one that can do this, not me. So we come to another leadership dilemma, our challenge that doesn't have an easy solution. See, we tend to think that becoming a better leader is all about improving our leadership style. Or perhaps trying to look like what we think a natural leader looks like. But those are not the things that will make us great leaders. That's our dilemma. There's been a tendency in the last couple of decades for the church to adopt secular leadership principles. And let me say very clearly, we're not knocking that. There are some really helpful things there. 
But our heart is to see it going the other way. We want the world to see that real Christian leadership is the most effective leadership there is. So that headhunters actively seek out Christians for key leadership roles. Because real Christian leadership is the type of leadership that every organisation everywhere really needs, whether they realise it or not. So the vision that we have through Free to Lead and other things is to see genuinely Christian leadership, not just in homes and churches, but in business, in politics, in the health service, in education, everywhere.